Um, it is good to be here. And uh, if I could just give you a little bit of context of why we're talking about what we are today. Uh, initially, I told Jeff I was going to talk about living generously. And so at some point, I'll squeeze that in to the text so that I can keep my word. But what I've found in the last few weeks, I've been wrestling with something that I think is, seems much more important. And I found myself looking at this passage that many of you will say, oh, that's just basic. We all knew that from all along. And that's just our, the idea of our identity in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a psychologist, a counselor. I work at RTS. And let me tell you a little confession, if I could, before as we get started. The reason I went into that field was I was going to figure out what everybody else did wrong, and I was going to do it right. And so when, when somebody came in and they told me that this happened to their kids, or this happened to their family, or this happened in their marriage, I was going to secretly write it down. And you thought I was supposed to be caring about you. And I was writing this and saying it down. I'd say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to figure it all out. Now, idolatry is a funny thing. And sometimes when we make good things more important than they even ought to be, they become an idol to us. And I've noticed that all three of my kids could say they've tasted the weight of my disappointment. One even said it the other day that they they felt the weight of my disappointment. It broke my heart. The idea they feel disappointed in. I think that's why parenting is such a a godly task because it's the privilege of of the way that God deals with us as his beloved, but, but we're to feel the weight of his glory instead of the weight of disappointment. So this idea of identity, who we are, and the idea that many of us are defined by the weight of disappointment instead of the weight of glory. And I needed to think about that. So I found myself in some really familiar places and passages that talk about identity. And we're going to find ourselves together, if it's okay, in those spots today. The other thing that made me think about identity was yesterday. Yesterday, I went someplace that many of you have never been. I was at Megacon Now, many of you don't know what that is. Megacon is a convention that they have that is, uh, well, it's a sea of mental illness. It is just a, it is just, it is just a sea of crazy. Um, People come from all over and dress up like uh, cartoon characters and video game characters and, and superheroes. And it is just... It's just amazing. I was there with, with, my, with my son yesterday, one of my sons yesterday, and he likes that sort of stuff. And, 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 and this is a place where in a, in a polo shirt and jeans, you're out of place. I mean, you're, you're out of place. You're in, you would be in place if you were wearing, you know, a, a goofy thing on your head or, or had, you know, something sticking out somewhere. It was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But it was just fascinated by what identities people chose to live out. There were some people there in Muppet outfits and there were some people there dressed like goblins and some people dressed like um, anime characters. And quite frankly, many of them, the only, the only way they were similar to the, to the people that they were trying to look like were the costumes. And they didn't look much like some of those characters and all those things. But it was the most, I want to just take my business card and say, let me just hand these out. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to need to sit down later on and talk about because you're, you're struggling with who you are and what you are and where you've been and, 
you're dressed like a goblin. There we go. Here, here's, here's my card. Let's talk later. I, w- I would love to have opened up a booth. But, but made me think about this idea even more. This idea of what makes us choose to live in the identity that we have? Why do we live the way we do? God has so much to say about that. God has so much to say about what he declares us to be. So I'd like us today, we'll look at a couple of different passages, but the the text I'd like us to begin with and, and spend most of the time with is a very familiar text for many of you. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Boy, that answers so much for us, and we'll break that down. But before we talk about God, before we talk about his word, Let's talk to him. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here. Father, would it be that your spirit would blow through here like a mighty wind? Would it be that this morning that we would begin to maybe be reminded, but maybe for the first time believe what is true about who you are and because of who you are, what we are. Father, we struggle with all that. We struggle with our identity and how we're to live and what we're supposed to do. How we're tired. We're cynical and we're scared. So would you meet us here? Would it be that 2,000 years from now in eternity, there'd be discussions about the way the people in this room lived and understood your great purposes in their lives and that they lived their lives as ones that knew who you were and knew who they were in you. Father, for the people in this room that are comfortable, would you disrupt them this morning? For the people in this room that are disrupted, would you comfort them? We pray in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, it's really funny where our identity comes from. One of the misnomers is people will say, I'm going to go find myself. You've heard that phrase. I'm going to go find myself. You don't find yourself. Self is, self is created by what is bestowed upon you, what is declared true about you, and then what, then what you believe about that. Your identity is determined by what is declared about you and then the choices you make to believe and what you'll do with that truth. You see, so identity isn't found. Identity identity is declared. And that's why our identity is often determined by by things like our parents. I mean, after all, our parents are kind of the tallest trees in the forest growing up. They're the ones that cast the longest shadow. They're the ones that tell us what it's like to be a man, what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be a family, what it's like to... Because values are more caught than taught. And so our parents shape us very much. The idea that because they are the tallest trees in the forest from the perspective of of the child. 
But what else causes our identity? Our parents do. Where you're from causes your identity. I mean, think about what you say to people when you meet them. Well, you tell them your name and you often tell them where you're from. Now, when we first moved here, we moved here from Tennessee. It's good to see some Tennessee people just a few minutes ago again. We were, we were some of the people that we, we, uh, we, when we came here, a lot of people weren't really excited about Orlando. I guess they hadn't been here very much. We love Orlando now. But I remember when we first moved here, we would tell people we didn't move to Orlando. We moved, to, we moved west of Cocoa Beach. We, we live in Castleberry. That's, that's really, really west of Cocoa Beach. Somehow it sounded different than saying Orlando or a bedroom community of Orlando. It's funny where you say you're from. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how we all have a place that there, there, there are communities in this town that if you say you're from this area, it has a connotation to it. You're from this area, it has a connotation. Where you're from says something about who you are. It's interesting. Remember in Acts 22 when Paul is in trouble and and they ask Paul, they ask Paul about, about his conversion or he's telling about his conversion. And remember what he says? He's, he's talking about the road to Damascus. And he said that, that the question he asked when, when Jesus met him on that road, he asked that same question, who are you? That identity question. And remember what Jesus said? Paul reports it. He says, Jesus said that he was Jesus of Nazareth. That's fascinating when you think that the word, the, the name Nazareth was really a, a name of shame. Can anything good come from Nazareth? All of Jesus' life, his, he was kind of challenged because people challenged the legitimacy of his birth, his parents, challenged the legitimacy of where he was from. It's Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? And it's kind of interesting in that moment when, when Jesus is appealing to the, to the great Saul about to become Paul, the great Roman citizen, he doesn't appeal to him as Appeals to him as Jesus, Nazareth. Because he identified with what used to be a place of shame to a place of description. See, we're defined by our parents. Our identity is. Our, our identity is defined by, by where we're from. It's also defined by who your people are. Who your people are that helps to define your identity. Who you, who, who you kind of call your people. I've got to admit, when I was at Megacon yesterday, I, I didn't feel like I was with my people. <laughs> I, I, matter of fact, I kind of looked around and wondered, would they kick me out? It was, um, I wanted to find some big something to put on my head. It, it, I, I, and it, it, all, it almost was like I was in another cultural experience at first because people had language about video games and characters and, and they knew each other. They'd see each other. People who know their people, when they see each other, they connect. And so people would, and one of, the, one of the guys I was with said, I said, you know what's amazing about this group is they'll accept anybody. And, and there was something about the idea that that's, they're my people. They would come together, they'd be appreciated. But who your people are kind of helps determine your identity. And then I guess what you do determines your identity, right? I mean, that's what we often tell people when, when, we, when, we, uh, when you're gonna meet somebody, you'll say, this is what I do, I'm a, and then, then you tell them what you do. So those are those things that seem to shape our identity. Well, look at this passage, and I think you'll see God will answer that. You see, we can either be shaped by disappointment or shaped by the weight of his glory. What, what, the reason it kind of broke my heart, my, 
my idolatry sometimes about being the perfect parent. I sure hadn't been. My wife's done pretty well, but I've just kind of stumbled along the way. One of the things that, that just amazed me about that is I've been a counselor and I've heard people sit in my office and talk about the weight of the disappointment they felt. Their parents disappointed in them. Their teachers disappointed in them. The weight of disappointment. And your identity can either be determined by the weight of disappointment or by the weight of his glory. It'll be one or the other. The weight of the disappointments that others have placed on you, that you've placed on you, circumstances have placed on you, that can be the weight that determines how you live, how you see you, how you see God. Or the weight of glory. Well, today, I'd like to remind you what you already know. I'd like to remind you about the weight of glory. And I'd like for you and I to begin to think about what it would be like if we believed it was true, that our identity is shaped by what he says in his word. Let's look at it together. First of all, notice it says, but you are a chosen people. Just the phrase, but you is an idea of everyone. There's a, there's a, there's a section where it says that we're, we're not as pagans. We're not as people who don't know him, but you. So, so please understand this passage is not for the person next to you. This passage is not for other people. Sometimes we get that way as we get into this. Sometimes we believe the Christian, the, the Christian message sometimes in our head, but we really think it's for somebody else. It's not really works for me, but I know it's true here. No, no, this is for you, for me. The passage begins with, but you, but you here at Orangewood, you right here in this room, all that have been brought here by God this day to hear the word, you. But you, each of you in this room that knows Jesus, you are a chosen people. Chosen people. You're chosen. You know what the opposite of chosen is? Rejected. And everybody faces a little rejection in their life. You, a phone call you wanted to get from somebody, a, a job you wanted that they didn't return the call, or, or a friend you wanted. It could be as simple as, as, simple as a not being friended on Facebook, though I wouldn't call that rejection. I mean, there's a way in which, which everyone's tasted the weight of the disappointment of rejection. And some people live their lives because of that. Sometimes the rejection seems so deep that what, what comes out of that is, a, is living based on fear. See, people who live... And the weight of disappointment, live out of fear. And if you live out of fear, you'll be anxious and you'll try to control everything you can because you're always afraid. But if you're this, if you, if you live your life out of the weight of glory, you, you'll begin to realize that you're chosen. You're selected. You belong to him. You're his. You're his elect. You're chosen You're chosen, not rejected, not looked over, not dismissed, not thanks, but no thanks. You're chosen. God's been choosing from the very, very beginning of scripture till now, till this moment, to this day. He chooses people 
to be a part of his kingdom and he's chosen you. Why do we live with the weight of disappointment and rejection when we're offered to live in the weight of his glory? And the weight of his glory invites us to understand that we're chosen. We're selected. Now, it's interesting. Each of these four points in this passage of declaring who we are really kind of fits to a theological truth that's, that's, that's part of the, the foundation of our beliefs. The, the, the idea that we are the elect or that we are chosen is a foundational understanding in the Christian faith. It's, it's it, the idea that, that we have a sovereign God and that we are chosen. That's, I mean, that's, that's serious theology. But you, all of us, are chosen. You're a chosen people. Not a rejected people. You're chosen the very hand of God. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. You know, you could spend thousands of dollars trying to get somebody to tell you what your purpose is in life. There, there, there are people, you, you can get coaches, you can get books, you can get coaches that coach coaches to write books, and they'll tell you, and, and you, can, you can sit around and, and you can pay people to tell you how to write your mission statement and how to understand this, and, this, and some of that's fine. Because the opposite of being, the, the idea of the royal priesthood is the idea that you have a purpose. You know, one of the major tenets of the Reformation was the idea that, see, back in the day, they believed there were priests, people who knew the word of God, people who studied the word of God, and they, and they would tell everybody. And you had to confess your sins to them because they're the conduit to God. Oh, but one of the tenets of the Reformation, one of the tenets of our faith is the idea that, no, you're part of the royal priesthood, that you, you are invited to be a part. You have a connection, a direct connection to God. There's not the professional Christians and the rest of us in the seats. That we are not, we're not, there's not a spare part in this room. I'll tell you a little story. Yesterday when I came home from Megacon, my wife had taken apart the vacuum cleaner. A better man would not tell you that story because men, I don't do, but I don't do the three man things very well. I don't fix things, make things, or kill things. Those are the things men do, and I, I don't do any of those things very well. And, and that's the second time my wife's tried to fix our vacuum cleaner by taking it apart. So when, she came home, when I came home, she said she'd taken it apart. I was not particularly happy, but I just said, that's great. The last time she took it apart, there was an extra piece left over. Sitting there on a counter, there was a little piece. Now, when she took it apart, that piece was in there. Put it back together, somehow it was out. So we decided that that was just a spare part. <laughs> Needless to say, the vacuum cleaner needed to be taken apart again and fixed. See, there aren't any spare parts in this room. Your talents, your gifts, your skills, your dreams, your hopes, your finances, your time, it all matters. It's needed here. Now, I did tell you, I told, I told Jeff that I was talking about generosity, remember, and living generously. And so this is that three-minute move into generosity. 
So when you see Jeff next week and he says, how'd it go? Say, boy, it was a good sermon on living generously. (laughs) You really need, the world doesn't pay a lot of attention to us sometimes anymore. And you want the world to pay attention to Christians, you start living sacrificially. Because in our selfish culture, that's counterculture. People don't understand sacrifice. They don't understand why somebody would, would not have this paid, but still pay to, 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 for the ministry of the church and the kingdom of God. They don't understand why somebody wouldn't have enough time, but they'd still give up their time to do something that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. People don't understand why somebody would sacrifice and give to people who don't have anything when, when, um, when they could just get more and more and more. See, sacrifice, sacrifice is, is something that is reflective. And you need to sacrifice not because what it'll do for others. You need to sacrifice because if you don't sacrifice, you won't be the kind of person God has made you to be. You need to sacrifice because it'll make you more like Christ to live sacrificially because he sacrificed on your behalf. And as you become more and more like him, you'll sacrifice. And so you need to live generously. You need to give your resources, your time, your skills, your dreams to the church. It's needed. There's not a spare part in the room. There's not a, not one of you is a screw that can be left out. You're all a part of the body of Christ working together. And so your, your, your resources and your dreams and your skills, your time, your abilities, your hopes, they belong in the kingdom of God working for his glory. You know why? Because you're part of a royal priesthood. You've got purpose. Your life matters. You might work at a, a know-nothing job. Some of you don't have jobs. Some of you have been struggling with the economy. Some of you might have just jobs you hate. But if you get this idea, if you understand this idea, you're, you're an ambassador for Christ. You're you're part of the royal priesthood. There is purpose in your life. You have purpose. You have a divine purpose. No, not me. I just work over here. No, you have a divine purpose because you're, you're part of the royal priesthood. You're part of, you have a direct line to the God of the universe. You can talk directly to him and confess your sins to him and live before him. You don't need a priest because you now are part of the royal priesthood. See, that's one of the main things that, that, kind of, that, that the Reformation turned on, the idea that, no, no, it's not just people who understand Latin and can read the word and tell you about it. It is for all to read and, and to know and to be part of the royal priesthood. No, you people... But you, not only are you chosen people, remember, if you live out of disappointment in the chosen area, what you'll do is you'll feel rejected and you'll become fear-based. If you live out of disappointment in the area of royal priesthood, you'll live a purposeless life. You'll be bored. You'll feel insignificant and you'll live an aimless life because you won't feel any purpose.
Then it says, you're a holy nation. You're a holy nation. It's where you're from. (laughs) See, your nation is not not, uh, determined by your politics. We're not determined by even the flag we fly. You're part of a holy nation. Now, it doesn't take long before you start to say, but I'm not very holy. It doesn't say I'm becoming a holy nation. It declares me a holy nation. My goodness, I, I know better than that. I'm not holy. I'm, I'm a mess. So this must not be my identity. No, this speaks to the theological truth of the imputed righteousness. See, you're holy. You're declared holy, not because you're good enough, not because of what you've done, because who he is, what he's done. See, some people teach the Christian life as if become a Christian. Now, try real hard to fly. And if you finally fly, you'll be, we'll call you an eagle. That's not what the Christian life teaches. It says, you belong to him. You're an eagle. Now go soar. Not, not hustle it up. Not white knuckle it. You're an eagle. Now soar. See, there is a call to holy living, but not because if you don't, not because it's the way you live will make you holy. No, it's you are a holy nation, so live like it. See, that's a whole different way of understanding how we live. It's not a, you see, if you instead live out of disappointment in this area, instead of living under the weight of the glory of God, if you live under the weight of disappointment in this area, what will you do? Instead of, Instead of a holy nation, you'll be a striving individual. And you'll become disillusioned or you'll pretend and become legalistic. See, because you can't pull off holy, but he can. And so what you'll do is you'll, you'll get disillusioned over a while because you, you can't pull it off. And either you'll give up or you'll start pretending. Or sometimes you might get real legalistic and just pick couple of little simple things that, that, that you can call holy and you'll follow those five or six things and, and you'll call yourself holy when really you know you're not. Or, see, that's if you live under the, the disappointment. The disappointment of never measuring up. The disappointment of, of not being enough. The disappointment of, of wishing you were better as opposed to the weight of Glory. the weight of glory that says you are holy. You're part of a holy nation. You belong to him. You see, not only are you chosen, not only are you, you don't have to live in fear. You're part of a royal priesthood. You've got a purpose. But also, also you're part of a holy nation. the last section but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession some of your translations say you belong to God you belong to him it's amazing to me at the end of the day what most of us do to belong we'll dress different than we want to we'll go we'll say things we don't want to we'll we'll do almost anything to belong I mean, there, 
about half of what was going on at Megacon yesterday had to do with belonging. People just wanted to belong to something. They didn't belong anywhere else, so they belonged with people dressed up goofy. That doesn't seem like a hard group to be a part of. I mean, but before you laugh at them, there's things to belong. You can belong to the Cocker Spaniel Club. You can belong to the Motorcycle Club. You can, you can even play fantasy football. Ooh. No, nothing wrong with playing fantasy football. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't really exist. I mean, you realize that. I mean, you realize you're choosing teams of, people, of teams that don't really exist. I mean, you're, you're, you understand that, right? It's, it's not real. And, and you're, you're going to draft parties and drafting people, and, and they're not really on the, the same team, and it's not really a draft. It's just made up. Why do we do that? Well, it's interesting to do it. It's not wrong to do that, but why do people do that? They want to belong. We just want to belong. It's one of the deepest questions of our soul. Do I belong? Almost everybody in this room has already looked around this morning and wondered, do, you, do I really belong here? Do I belong here? I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough or they dress nicer than me or oh, they're from a different social group from me or they live on this side of town instead of this side of town or there's not a person in this room that hadn't thought, looked around and said, I, that's either said, I wonder if I belong here. I wonder if they belong here. They've said, they've said that because belonging is at the very core of your being. We did some research back when I was in graduate school. My, matter of fact, my dissertation was on this. I wrote my dissertation in crayon. It was a long time ago. That's back when they just gave away doctorates. But we looked at identity. And we talked about people struggling with issues of identity. And what we found, we looked at adopted children when they got older that were struggling with issues of identity. And you know, one of the things that they talked about they talked about one of their big issues is they just wanted to know where they belonged. Just want to know that they, where they belonged. Where do I belong? When kids join gang, it's, gangs. It's why people join so many things. They just want to belong. Let that be settled. If you live out of disappointment, you'll spend your whole life feeling insecure and wondering if you belong. Because that is... That's the weight of disappointment because everybody has tasted feeling like you don't belong. Some of you felt it this very morning. I don't belong. That's living with the weight of disappointment. God's inviting us this morning to be reminded to believe instead to live in the weight of his glory. And the weight of his glory, you belong to him. You belong. You belong. A lot of us wrongly see the Christian life as if we're in this big gymnasium and there's a little area for Christians and that you kind of stumbled on the seats that have for Christians and you get to sit there. And you see the Christian life as kind of something that you, you've now kind of lived because you sit in those seats. You, it's not a bunch of seats in the back of the auditorium. It's a banquet table. It's a banquet. It's the greatest banquet you can imagine. And when you get there, have you ever gone to a real fancy place 
and, and, they, and they've got name cards on the table and you, and you kind of look around to see if, to see if you've got a nameplate. You see, the Christian life is a, you get to come to a banquet and you look and you stumble on this, this seat at the banquet table and it's got your name on the place card and that name is written in red, the blood of Christ. Because you are chosen. <laughs> You've got purpose. You're a royal priest. <laughs> You're part of a holy nation. And you belong. What does this passage say we should do with our lives? What would, it, what would be a sign? What would be a sign that you starting to live in the weight of his glory instead of the weight of your disappointment? What would be a sign that you begin to understand your identity in Christ? Well, it tells us right here. Look at the text. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. And then it tells us, once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy because you've tasted the mercy of God, because you've been, you've tasted his gracious forgiveness because of your new identity and his weight of glory. What's a sign that you understand that? You want to declare his praises. You want to live for his glory. You want to you want to declare his praises to a, to a world that's longing to know if it's all true. You see, the world's living under the weight of disappointment. It's living under the weight of disappointment. It's burdened and broken and wondering if anything better could be true. The gospel of Jesus Christ promises something much, much different. An identity not based on your failures, not based on your shortcomings, not based on your disappointments, but an identity based on who he is and what he has done for you, for his glory. And on this day, at this time, hear his declaration. Hear his declaration this morning. You are not a disappointment. You are a chosen, a royal priest holy nation you belong to him let's pray father would it be that we would believe what is true father our identity is determined by the things declared about us and what we choose to believe in would you have us this day choose to believe the truth of your word? Would you have us this day believe the truth of, of your glory? Father, would you have us taste the weight, not of our disappointments, not of our failures, not of our shortcomings, but have us taste the weight of your glory. We pray this in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.